Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Riverwood Church. If I've not had a chance to meet you, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, my name is Aaron, lead pastor for Riverwood, and I'm excited to get to kick off Advent with you guys. Can you believe it's already Advent? I mean, like, January started like two or three weeks ago, uh, and here we are a month away from Christmas. Uh, this year has just absolutely flown by. So I got to ask, how many of you have some Christmas presents already purchased? Yeah, it happened by accident at our house. I, I, we did not go into the weekend planning to get anything, and suddenly we had like three or four different presents purchased. So yes, children, we have some gifts already set for you. Um, how many of you have all of your shopping done? Okay, good. I'm normal. Uh, I had this feeling that uh, some people were way, way ahead. Uh, as you know, this last Friday was Black Friday. Uh, because of the pandemic and the way retailers have been changing their approach to Black Friday, I just kind of assumed that this would not be the normal Black Friday. I mean, you guys know what normal Black Friday looks like. It's people standing outside of Best Buy at 4 a.m. waiting to get in the store at 5 a.m. so they can buy that huge 80-inch TV to put, take it home, put it on the wall, and watch the Iowa Hawkeyes beat my Nebraska Cornhuskers. I mean, that's a normal Black Friday. I, I just expected that because, uh, you know, some people started their sales over a week ago. Things were wrapping around to Cyber Monday because of the pandemic. Uh, plus, my Huskers were actually a one-point favorite. Like, I just assumed that this Black Friday would be a little different. I was wrong. Not only did my Huskers absolutely implode. Congratulations, you Iowa Hawkeye fans. You're, uh, you, you can thank the Huskers of Minnesota for allowing you into the uh, uh, Big Ten Championship game. But also, I saw a video of people standing outside of a Best Buy waiting for the doors to open at 5 a.m. so they could go inside and score the big screen TV. Like, it's, it's like we're right back to normal. Like, people going to these incredible lengths to go and find the perfect gift just so they can watch the joy on someone's face. Well, I'm here to tell you today it doesn't work. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, people stand in line. They, they get the, the great deal but ultimately, it doesn't provide what they're looking for. Because so many people that are standing in line outside of those stores are looking for contentment. They, they think that they just get that particular item for that particular person, including maybe for themselves, then they will be so happy, everything will be just fine. But proof it doesn't work is the fact that exactly one year later, they're standing right outside the store waiting for it to open at 5 a.m. to try and score yet another deal. Because our enjoyment, our excitement, our contentment in our stuff fades. Many years ago, a good friend of mine decided to upgrade from the iPhone 4S to the iPhone 5. And he decided to support a poor little church planter with his iPhone 4S. So I got this only one-year-old device, and I loved that thing. Like, I was always reading on it, researching stuff, watching videos, playing some games, and occasionally actually making a phone call. But now, I think I've had like three iPhone since. Like, each one has gotten faster, better features, bigger I think if you handed me an old iPhone 4S, I'd just look at it and think like, man, it's so small. It's slow. It's not cool. How did I ever like that thing? Because our enjoyment in our stuff fades. Now, I realize some of you might be a little more mature than I am. And so maybe you're still rocking an iPhone 4S and you could not be happier. If so, well done. Teach me how. 
But there's other things in your life that have faded. For, for instance, relationships. How many of you had some sort of romantic fling in middle school? I mean, he or she was all you could think about. And yet the relationship faded. You suddenly realized how annoying they actually were. Or maybe you had a, a really good friend in high school or college. You thought, man, we're going to be BFFs forever. But the relationship just faded. And now you, you don't really keep in touch. Or maybe you got a new job. You, you got the promotion. You're finally going to make what you deserve. Everything's going great. You're so content. And then you meet your coworkers. Or, or, or you suddenly start discovering how disgruntled the customers are. Or maybe you find out that your boss is actually very unethical. And certain things that were promised to you actually were lies. And, and suddenly you're not as content with the new job as you were in the beginning. I could go on. I could talk about how we try to find our contentment in, in having more money or getting a bigger house or, you know, whatever. We try to find our contentment in this stuff, but our contentment always fades. Now, sometimes it fades just because of our fickleness. I mean, that's at least what it is with our phones, my phone at least. But sometimes our, our contentment fades because of difficulty. That as soon as we find out the job isn't what we thought it would be, when suddenly the relationship isn't going nearly as well as we thought it could or should. Or, or when you have to deal with a broken device like I did with my computer this last week. Your contentment in those things fade in the face of difficulty. Well, today we're going to look at a story of a couple who goes through something horrendously difficult. But what we're going to discover is that their contentment in everything does not fade it remains the same. It's what the scripture describes as a peace that surpasses understanding. And by looking at the story of Mary and Joseph, I'm hoping that you will capture an idea of how you can find contentment through this Advent season, but even through the rest of your life. So as we get ready to head to the scriptures, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you as we get ready to hear from your scriptures uh, Lord Jesus, I know you love us deeply. And so you came to rescue us from our sins and to give us a true contentment. But many of us will confess that we are not finding contentment right now. Our minds are filled with our circumstances. Our minds are filled with our schedule. Our minds are filled with the strains around us. Our minds are filled with so many other things. And, and we're missing you. So, Lord, I pray that today you would help us to seek contentment by seeking Christ. That you would speak loud and clear to us so that we can begin this Advent season the right way. And that when we celebrate Christmas morning, we can look back upon these last 28 days and realize all that you did in us and how we were able to engage in worship of you because we've sought you. And so, Lord, I pray that this today would not be about what I've prepared to say this would be about what you need to say, what you want to say to everyone listening. And do in us what you want to and need to do for your glory and for our contentment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 2, to the famous Luke 2. 
Uh, if you do not have a Bible, I'm going to put the scripture up on the screen so you can follow right along with us. Um, but I just really encourage you, uh, get yourself a Bible. At Riverwood, we don't care if that's a digital Bible or a paper one. We just want you to have one. So either download one to your phone uh, or, or if you're here in person, stop by our resource table. And we've got two different translations out there of, of a paper copy of the Bible. We'll find the one that will fit you best. And then you can make that your everyday Bible. Uh, we just are, are at Riverwood. We are convinced that God wants you to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And, and the way he accomplishes that is, is letting us look at the person of Jesus through the scriptures. So that's why we want you to have a Bible and not just use it then on Sundays when you come back, but to use it every day of the week. We, we really want you to become a, a student and reader of God's word. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a good chance you've already heard this passage. Uh, if you've ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, this is the passage that little Linus walks out and reads on stage. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7 today. So please silently read along as I read Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. The famous Christmas story begins with a census. In our day and age, when our government wants to know how many people are in America, they send forms to us. And worst case scenario, they send government officials out to knock on our door and ask us the questions. But in their day and age, they told the people they had to go somewhere to be registered. In this case, to go to the place of their birth or their family ancestry. So because Joseph is out of the famous line of King David, he must go to the city of David, the small town of Bethlehem. Uh, Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth at this time. Nazareth was about 60 to 70 miles as the crow flies from uh, Bethlehem. But they couldn't just hop in a plane and fly directly there. In fact, they couldn't even throw their bags in a car and drive an hour and a half to get there. Their mode of transportation were their feet. And they didn't have decent walking shoes like us. They would have just had thin little sandals on, uh, that they had to wear. And, and the tradition holds that, you know, there was a donkey that they took along with them. But even then, donkeys aren't exactly going to be moving fast. And pregnant Mary is going to have to be riding on it. Right? Uh, this map here uh, shows that they probably did not cross straight through Samaria. Even though that was the more direct route for various reasons we won't get into right now. Most Jews did not travel through Samaria. So they probably took the green route, the river route. That would have added another 15 to 20 miles to their journey. So we're talking about probably an 85, 90 mile, mile journey. Right? That's like farther from Waverly to Cedar Rapids. And, and, and it would have been a, a mountainous region. And so they're having to walk this. It would have taken them a minimum of four days, most likely five, and very likely six, even seven. That means they have to pack all their food. They've got to, to go through the elements, whatever, you know, if it's blasting hot, if it starts pouring on them, it's cold at night. They just have to survive all of it. But once they arrived in Bethlehem, it wasn't like things just magically got easier. Uh, if you notice there in verse 7. 
it says at the very last phrase that there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, the word inn simply means guest room. Now, it's possible that there was like a building, a structure there that was like a motel. And there was no room in that sort of inn. But more likely, they went to find a distant relative. And that relative had probably already filled their guest room with other relatives who'd come for the census. And, and so it meant Mary and Joseph were kind of left out. Um, I, I, many years ago, doing some research on this, found some, some uh, scholars that think that some of the, the buildings of the day were two stories tall. That you lived on the top level and your animals lived on the bottom level. So perhaps Mary and Joseph are just given kind of space there on the ground floor in this house among some animals. We're going to talk about why there may have been some animals here in a little bit. But it's also possible that research says that there were caves around Bethlehem. And so it's possible one of the relatives like owned one of these caves and used it like, you know, a storage unit. And so they allowed Mary and Joseph to, to go out there. But what we know is they did not get a nice, comfortable place with a nice, comfortable bed. They're in a, a difficult circumstance. And then she goes into labor. And so now she's having to give birth in a very uncomfortable, unsanitary place. Mary is most likely 13 to 16 years old. That was the age most girls got married in that day. And so she's still young. She would have been considered a, a woman. But yet, this is her first child. Typically, mom would be there to help. Or at least the people from your community that you know and trust. She's now away from everyone. With people, she has no idea who they are in this very awkward, intimate moment of giving birth. And it's happening in a barn. The reason we think it's in some sort of barn is because of where they laid them. The other part of verse 7 there, it says that they wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. These swaddling cloths were simply rags. They didn't have a baby blanket. Definitely didn't have a onesie. No disposable diapers. Like just whatever they could find, just take these, these strips of cloth and wrap him up in them, doing their best to keep him worn and clean. And then it says that they laid him in a manger. A manger was simply a feeding trough. Joseph probably tried to find the best, you know, cleanest hay he could find, but still he's laying on a bed of hay. So let's recap. They have had to make a... 90-mile journey by foot while seven, eight, nine months pregnant. They get to a city that they don't know. They have to somehow register for a census. And while there, she goes into labor, has to be helped by people she does not know. Oh, by the way, I, I kind of skipped this. Pregnancies in that day, they were not as easy as today. I mean, right, you know, Jody just had, you know, Hazel not that long ago. Michelle's getting ready to have their, you know, the Chavez's little girl. I, I'm not sitting here in fear like, oh no, I sure hope Michelle and the baby make it. Like our technology, our doctors, like everything we know with our knowledge, we just assume mom and baby are going to be fine. Happened with Jody and Hazel. We're just going to assume it's going to happen with the Chavez's. Back in their day though, it, it, it was not as easy. Like moms sometimes died in labor. Sometimes the baby didn't make it. Now, because God's involved here and an angel spoke, you know, they're pretty sure that this new baby Jesus is going to be fine. But had the guaranteed mom would be? And so you've got all of this difficulty in this. And so what I want you to do for a second is put yourself in their sandals. What would this have all been like? Because I know if I were Joseph, I would probably be looking up at heaven and saying, 
really? Like, this is how you're going to bring your Messiah in? Like, we trusted you. You told uh, Mary through an angel. You told me through a dream. We've now gone on this huge, long journey we didn't expect. We're now living in a place that we don't know the people. We're now out here in a barn. The animals are there trying to take a nip off of our baby. This is how you're treating us. Really? I would not be content. And yet, Mary and Joseph are completely at peace. We see it a few verses later in verse 19. Uh, what happens right before, before verse 19 is some shepherds show up. They've been told by an angel. We're going to look at the story of the shepherds next week. They've been told by an angel. The Messiah has been born. They come to find him and they show up. What you need to know is uh, shepherds were the social outcasts of their day. Some of them socially awkward. They, they, they smelled like the outdoor. They smelled like their sheep. And here they suddenly show up in this unsanitary place to see your new baby. But it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured this. Like I, I treasure it when my children open up their Christmas present and they beam with joy. You know, when, when I, I get to go on vacation with my wife and we get to, you know, walk hand in hand down nature, that's a moment I treasure. When I get to go to a cabin in the mountains and have a mug of tea in my hand and a book or a Bible and the fire's roaring in the, the fireplace, like that would be a moment I would treasure. Having stinky, smelly shepherds come in and visit me after a long labor, after this long journey, after having to be out in a, an unsanitary place, I don't think I'd be treasuring it. And yet she does. How? How in the world is Mary so content with all of this? How, with so much difficulty surrounding them, is she able to be at peace? I think we get a glimpse a chapter earlier. Flip back to Luke chapter 1, head to verse 26. This is the story where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her she's going to become pregnant with Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. And behold. Your relative Elizabeth. In her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. Who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said. 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Did you hear it there at the end? Mary says, let it be to me. As you have said. In other words, okay, that's fine. I'm content with this. You have to realize that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. So in some ways, in the eyes of their culture, they were married, but they hadn't had the wedding night. They had not come together. That was supposed to wait at least like nine, 12 months after the time of engagement. So they're in that period. So for her to suddenly end up pregnant during that time, everyone's going to assume the worst that they didn't wait till the wedding night. And in their, that day and age, that was incredibly shameful. They would have been so ostracized by their community. So the whole story begins with difficulty. And yet she says, okay, I'll do this. I'm content. You see, Mary was a good Jewish girl. She'd grown up going to synagogue, hearing the stories, hearing the the scriptures read. And she's heard throughout all of her life All that God has done through time of how he has miraculously rescued the Jewish people of how he's displayed his power, how he's declared his wisdom, how he's declared his justice and how he's also declared the coming of a Messiah. And so now she hears that God is fulfilling his promise, his word. So she says, okay, I'll do it. That's fine. Because I trust God and his sovereignty. And then she sees it happen. She ends up pregnant. And then they have to go on this long journey. They end up in this uncomfortable place. And she's having to give birth in this unsanitary conditions. And yet she's fine. Because she trusts God. And way to put it is she trusts God's word and his work. I think that's the tip that you and I need. We just look at Mary and Joseph and we see what they did. You see, too often we keep our eyes on what's happening right here, right now. Our eyes are on our circumstances. They're on our relationships. They're on our struggles at work or at school. They're they're, they're on our broken devices. And that's when we find ourselves so discontent with life. But what Mary did was she lifted her eyes up and she sees God. And she trusts his word. She sees his work. And it gives her the content that she needs to be content. You and I have one advantage over Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were right in the middle of it. You and I, we're on this side of the whole entire story. And we can look back and see all that God did. And what we can do is we can look back and we can see, hear God's word. We can read the scriptures and see how God fulfilled his promises. But then we can see God's work. And we can look to the cross and we can see Jesus dying for our sins. We see Jesus come out of the grave alive. We see Jesus ascend to heaven and declare he's going to be ruling over all things. So if you find yourself really struggling with contentment as we head into this Christmas season, then I'm going to encourage you, lift your eyes up, get them off of your circumstances, of the struggles, everything going on around you, And look to Jesus. It doesn't mean it's going to magically make everything disappear. It doesn't mean suddenly the financial situation is going to change. 
doesn't mean suddenly the, the relationship's going to be healed and fixed. It, it, it doesn't mean you're suddenly going to get that job or everything's just going to go magically better. I'm not trying to just change your circumstances. I'm trying to change your heart. I want you to have contentment. I want you to have joy. I want you to experience a peace that surpasses understanding. You ever been around someone who's going through something really, really difficult? And yet they seem to be doing fine. It's absolutely remarkable. I I can think of friends who've like had to go through cancer. And yet they seem to be handling it better than, than I it would if I were in their situation, but even handling better than I am at, at the moment. And I'm not the one going through cancer. If they're a follower of Jesus, what is carrying them is their faith. They know that even if the things in this world absolutely crumble and fall apart, they're still the same. Because their life is in Christ. And so even if this body were to die, they get to eternity with God. So they're fine. That is true contentment. I want that for you. So rather than seek contentment through the presence this Christmas, rather than seek contentment in, in trying to make a big change in life, rather than seek contentment in the things of this world, may you seek contentment by seeking Christ. Which means, if you are not a follower of Jesus, that I'm going to encourage you to lift your eyes up from the things of this world and see him. See him on a cross, dying in your place. See him coming out of that grave alive. See him ascending to heaven to rule over all things, including you. When many people realize that this story is true, as crazy it is, that God the Son descended down to heaven, incarnated into this world, God in human flesh, when they realize it's all true, they confess their sin to God. Realizing Jesus gave his life for them. And so they give their life to follow him. In just a few moments, we're going to be going into uh, our moment of communion. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to encourage you, don't go to these elements. Don't worry about them. You focus on God. Is the story real? Is it true? If it is, would you give your life to him? Would you begin to seek contentment, not in the things of this world? Seek contentment by seeking Christ. As I look around this room, I see a bunch of my church family. And I know you've given your life to Jesus. You treasure him. Maybe you're going through something really, really hard right now. Maybe this is a difficult season. You're not content. Then I want you to use this communion moment the same way. I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to seek Christ. When you open that up, that little wafer is Christ's body. He allowed his body to be beaten and bruised for you. When you take the next thing and you take that cup, you realize that is his his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so at any time during this next song, as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, I encourage you, come. Come to these elements. Allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to you. If you need to confess your sins, you need to confess that you've been looking for for contentment in other places, do so. May you lift your eyes up from the things of the world and look to Christ, the one who came to this world in a barn to a virgin, wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a feeding trough. 
to go and live a sinless life, but go and die the sinner's death. And may that help you begin this Advent season, realizing that your contentment will not be found in the presence, in the schedule, in the relationships, that your true contentment will be found in Christ. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would oversee this this next moment, that, that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would work deeply. Do with us what you need to right now. If there's confession that needs to take place, Holy Spirit, would you draw it out? If there is a surrender that needs to happen, help us to humble ourselves before you. If someone needs to give their life to you for the first time, may this right now become their spiritual birthday. Jesus, we seek you. We come to you because you came for us. So because of what you have done, how you promised it and then you fulfilled it, may you help us to trust in your word and your work. May we celebrate that right now in this beautiful sacrament called communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At any time during the song, feel free to go to the elements. Feel free to stay in your seats. You may stay seated and pray. You can stand and sing. This next moment is for you to just come to God, to seek after him, and let him do in you what he needs to. So let us do this now in remembrance of him.